Welcome to Unleashed at Work and Home, the show dedicated to helping veterinarians, vet techs, dog trainers, shelter and rescue workers, pet sitters, and all the other animal crazy pet professionals manage their stress and find more joy. I'm your host, Colleen Pilar, and I'm thrilled you're here with us today. Make sure you hit the subscribe button on your favorite app so that you won't miss a single episode. This episode is brought to you by our free community, the Circle of Resilient and Thriving Pet Professionals. If you like the ideas shared here, then you're invited to continue the conversation with other lifelong learners in the community. You can find out more at ColleenPilar.com. It's the perfect place for you to learn cool stuff, feel good, and take action to create the life you love. Come join us. Welcome back to Unleashed at Work and Home. My guest today is Dr. Veronica Jarvanen, who is the owner of Emma Vet Emergency and Primary Care in Alexandria, Virginia. And I have known Dr. Jarvanen for quite a few years now. Um, we met back in 2018 when she was just beginning to open her practice. So welcome. I'm going to call you Veronica because that's how I think of you. So welcome, Veronica. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's great to be here. So can you tell me a little bit about, um, start me back at the beginning, like when you were a kid, what did you think you were going to be when you grew up? When I was a kid and I learned that being a veterinarian was an option, I knew that that was the option. So when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a vet. Um, and from there, that kind of guided everything. Um I didn't know the exact path, but I knew it was hard and I knew I needed to keep at it. Um, but I think that reaching a goal like that is um, is easier when you keep the goal in mind, you know, and you just keep having to, to focus and refocus and then refocus and refocus. I didn't always think I wanted to own my own practice. That came kind of with the the whole package of once I was a vet, when I didn't have the exact right job that I wanted for me, um, then I, that I realized I needed to create my own space. Um, then I really dove headfirst into opening up EmmaVet. And what about EmmaVet makes it a better fit for you than the previous situation that you had? So my background is in emergency medicine, and I love helping people in times of need. I love helping the animals in those really scary moments for them, uh, medically and emotionally. And what didn't exist yet was this sort of urgent care concept where I could be there for those really scary times, but I didn't have to be there overnight. And so the hours were sort of one driving factor. I, I could not work overnights anymore. And then honestly, a lot of the emergency cases that end up getting hospitalized at 24-hour clinics are very emotionally demanding on the team um, in addition to the pet and the owners. And I knew I needed to step back away from that a little bit just to help preserve myself. I was starting to get to the point that I couldn't be there for anybody because I was, you know, getting emotionally burned out by 
being there 100% for for some of these cases. Um, so to preserve myself in order to, you know, help the whole, um, I needed to back away from that part. And so the urgent care structure in the human side of things really helped drive my my vision for Emavet, um, where you're there when people need you, you're there later at night. Now that I have kids and I'm constantly at like the evening urgent care pediatrician, um, I'm like, yes, this, <laughs> like I need to be able to get somewhere at 7 PM, you know, and know that everything's going to be okay tomorrow, you know? So that's kind of the, the whole right the whole idea. Um, and so then the other part of it for Emavet for me was the culture. Mm-hmm. I didn't always have the best emotional support for myself in my previous uh, hospitals. And I really wanted to be able to be that boss for others um, to show people that they can work in an environment where the rest of life is really the important thing. And that's really what matters. And then if you want to be in this field that you pour your heart and soul into, I have a spot for you. That's so beautifully said. I mean, to to recognize how important the work is that you and your team do, but but that the real part of their life is much bigger and broader than that. And um, to have people who come on your team and commit while they're there, but also recognizing that they have whole worlds outside of that. I think that's the piece that's so hard for so many pet pros to hang on to is the replenishing and restorative aspects of the outside of work life and how much that matters to the work we do. What what made you know so clearly and so intentionally that you wanted to be deliberate about building culture. Because when I first met you, that was what you said to me. It was like, I really want to build a culture where it is a team and it's cohesive and that we do recognize this importance of of life. It would be easy to kind of say that it's harder to, to really lean in and build it. And you have never wavered on that. Where does that come from? I think in general, I'm kind of an um, unwavering <laughs> person on some things, but I um, I really needed this career to be sustainable for me. And part of that is I can't possibly be alone in that. And I know that. And so, you know, even in those really dark days where I felt really alone, Like in the back of my mind, I knew I could not be alone in wanting this to be a lifelong career. Mm -hmm. And then I spent a lot of time thinking about what a person needs to be able to have what they would call a lifelong career. What do they need out of that career in that actual workplace? And you know, it just had to draw from me. And the whole time I just had to keep saying like, I cannot possibly be alone in this. And then it's kind of, it's like, um, that positive feedback loop, you know, then like you get somebody on board with you who's like, yeah, no, yeah, you're not alone. And then that is like, it just emphasizes the need to keep doing it. And then you get more people like that. And then you, then you have to show up for these people because they're there because you said, (laughs) I'm going to make this okay for you. 
Um, and so it's just like a positive feedback loop where you just, you keep doing it because you keep doing it and you get the feedback that it's the right thing to do. And building a practice is always hard, always huge, overwhelming and, um, life-changing. And in the same window of building your practice, you've also become a parent twice over. Tell me what you know about yourself now that the you who was starting her practice didn't know about herself. Oh, I just love those babies so much. <laughs> I I think I knew I would, but, but wow. Um, mm-hmm. And there's this sort of like mama boss-ness that comes together. And if I could look back five years and give myself some advice, it would, I think I would really just say like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And if it's not okay, you're going to make it okay. And so, you know, breathe a little bit easier still do the steps you're, you did, you know, still take the precautions you took. Don't make any blind leaps, but, you know, just get ready. Cause it's, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. And I can't even remember if that's what you actually asked me, but man, the children, those babies, they really, really structure your priorities. Mm-hmm. And you just have to keep showing up and doing the right thing for them. And I know that there are, I right, I can't possibly be alone in this. And I have people who work for me who are parents. And I want to make sure that they can do the exact same thing for their children that I would want to do for mine. You know, be it um, take off work so that you can go to the pediatrician or go to work so that you're out of the chaos or (laughs) um, any of it. Yeah, it does. It does play both sides of the coin at times of that work can be the thing that refuels us for home and home can be the thing that refuels us for work. If, if we are intentional about how we're showing up at each of those places, Um, but it's a lot, it's a lot. And um, I really admire how you've done that. I think that it's, the people I know who have started their own practice just all describe the first two years as just an onslaught, just so much work, so many details, so many things to track and worry about. And, you know, the the responsibility of going from, I think, I think this is going to work to, I think this is going to work. And also people's livelihoods depend on me. So it, it better work. Um, (laughs) It's a tricky spot. And I think your real focus on culture um, plays a role in how well it has come together for Emma Vet. And um, you described it, but I want to just sort of encapsulate a little bit of of Emma Vet. And please correct me if I'm inaccurate in how I describe it. But the original Emma Vet was to use a comparison like a CVS minute clinic where you, where someone could come in with, oh my gosh, my dog is, you know, vomiting and I'm not sure. And it's seven o'clock at night. And um, if the dog needed overnight care, then you would transfer it to an, to an emergency overnight hospital. And if not, they could get whatever care they needed at that time 
And since then, you have expanded and now offer some primary care as well. So you're not just afternoon, evening hours, but you have day to evening, but no overnights for your practice. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Right. And how many um, how many doctors are on your team? Not including me, there are five full-time doctors. So we have two primary care and three urgent care. Everybody's so booked. Um, and so I think if we were, you know, we're always looking to expand, which is crazy that that's part of the culture as well. Mm-hmm. And I think the urgent care side of things is where the, where the demand really is right now. Mm-hmm. Same day care. Yeah. Well, I, that is how animals are, isn't it? You know, like it is. It's they're like fine it, and then they're not. Animals and kids, it's like they're in the moment, right? And they're either mm-hmm. they're either fine there or they're not. They'll be fine or it won't. And uh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you you just referenced the phrase I did. I always ask guests to share some words that have had meaning for them. And the words that that you're offering today are It'll either be fine or it won't. And this is something I've heard your team say. Um, so I do every other month I do a session for Emma Vet um, with their team just on any particular aspect of uh, human behavior, um, understanding emotional triggers, whatever. We do all sorts of things and have been for years and it's awesome and it's fun. Um, so I hear your team members say, well, it'll either be fine or it won't. And you can hear them <laughs> leaning into it and you know it's not their words um <laughs> and it's your words that this is something you say to people regularly where did these words come from and what do they mean to you it'll either be fine or it won't um at this point i don't remember where these words came from well we all just think they're yours so they, i guess they might be um <laughs> it'll either be fine or it won't um so to me, this is the sort of um, recognizing, so there's a there's an implicit recognition that basically like I've done everything I can do for this situation, right? It's not reckless. It's not a it's not a reckless way of behaving or looking at things. It's an understanding and a recognizing for myself that I have done what I can to set myself up to succeed in whatever situation in getting to the pediatrician on time to find a parking spot and get inside in time. You know, I've set myself up. I, you know, I, there's implied I've done everything I can. And then there's a sort of turning it over aspect and it's recognizing that I actually am not in control of everything, even though I try to be. <laughs> and it gives me, it's sort of, it just like frees me a little bit of the pressure to, to, to do the thing. Um, you know, like I've, I've done everything I can and it's going to work out the way I've planned it or it won't. And then there's another implication at the end where and if it's not okay, if it's not fine, I'm going to make an adjustment. I'm going to reframe something. I'm going to, you know, try again. And so it's it's not just like 
it's fine as in like, you know, average or, you know, getting by. It's like this will work out to the extent that I want it to. I don't know. It's just, so there is somebody on my team who doesn't like this phrase um, because it makes, because I think she sees it as a little bit, it's flippant, right? So like Mm -hmm. it can be really off-putting, like I'm not going to try super hard because it'll either work out or it won't. And I can see, I can turn it and see that. Um, And so, you know, I, I don't just use it, you know, for a hundred percent of things, but, right. um, but, but really what I mean it is like, you know, I've done everything I can and I'm going to turn it over a little bit because I'm not in constant control, but also I will keep working if it didn't work out. Yeah. The layers of that are really important. Um, and you're right that to have a few words as a shorthand phrase can be taken different ways by different people. And so it's important to know what it means to you and what it means to you is very empowered, but not pressuring. So what you've built into this is this understanding of um, showing up with all of your intention to have things work out. You know, you're doing what you can to make things work out, recognizing the piece of we can't control everything, which is such a sad, hard piece for so many of us who do like to try to control everything. Mm-hmm. It's really tough for some of us mm-hmm. to let that go. But the last piece, I think, is the piece that many, many people struggle with, which is that you trust that if it doesn't work out, that you can learn and grow from it and make a change. And that growth mindset piece of Taking action gives us information. And for a lot of people, we get ourselves stuck because we don't want to take an action until we know it will work out. (laughs) And so it's a lack of action, which provides less information. And then there's less to, to happen from there. What you've got with this is you set a goal, you move toward it with this. It'll either be fine or it won't. It'll either work out or it won't. And there's a commitment there, but also uh, a learning. Uh, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep iterating um, to to make it work out. And I think that that's really powerful mindset that is sort of easier said than done for most of us to to say, um, I trust myself to keep trying. Yes. Mm that yeah and and then when you own a clinic other people trust you to keep trying so like you better show up for yourself because Mm -hmm. you know how are you going to lead people other people if you're not going to lead yourself so yeah i have this trust in myself that i'm going to make things work out for myself where did that come from do you know Oh, I think need (laughs) (laughs) a little bit of some childhood trauma, um, uh, survival mechanisms, adaptation. Yeah, it wasn't out of, um, well, some of it may have been out of luck and chance, but it definitely is a, is a work in progress. 
as we all are, as we all are. And your your answer illustrates something important there too. Um, that we all we all have had some moments of luck, but the more work I do with people, the more I see that we all have had really traumatic experiences. Everybody has a story that can break your heart. Like I'm convinced everyone has a story that would break your heart. And the more we learn from that and grow from that and see that we can come through things and that we can um, not power on, but but grow and change and adapt and learn to trust ourselves to handle what comes our way. Um, it matters. It matters in how things feel in the future. Um, an example for me that came up in December was um, my husband, who is thin and fit and has always been, you know, super healthy guy, uh, went in for a, a test because he thought his back was sore. And they were like, oh, triple bypass. You need a triple bypass. And it just hit us from out of the blue. Neither one of us ever saw that coming. Um, and I noticed how different I was with this than when he had had cancer 13 years before. Um, when he had cancer, I was freaked out and controlling everything everywhere. I was really like, ooh. And with this one, there was a piece of me that was kind of trusting that I could handle whatever came, mm-hmm. um, which was surprising because we were having conversations about like, getting his will in order um, to, you know, like conversations you never want to have. And yet you need to have that, that trust of, and again, I don't want it to sound flippant, just like your, like your um, employee feels, but it'll either be fine or it won't. Like if, if there is a complication, we're going to deal with it. And if there is an issue, we're going to handle that. And we're, we're doing what we can to get the best care and all. But it was fascinating to me to find that I was different how different I was this time. And I think it was that I trusted myself more, um, which was amazing uh, and scary, but true. So it's easy sometimes to look at other people and think that they have, their life is easy or, you know, things just come to them. But your trust in yourself has come through experience. You've earned it. You've proven to yourself over and over that you can rely on yourself. And also that you can rely on others, that in order to be a team leader, you have to let some things go and let someone else be trusted and allow that to happen. What what about that is, um, what have you learned from that, of, of being someone who says, I trust you to do your best with, without me micromanaging you? So it took me a few years before I hired a practice manager. And, um, you know, I would say most of it, part of it is you want the right person to help you manage your clinic. But most of it was, did I trust that I had set up the systems enough to let pieces go? Mm -hmm. And I couldn't, give this to somebody else until I had done that. Um, and so it's, it's just interesting how you were just saying like, yes, I trust myself, but I have to trust others. Um, and really I couldn't trust others until I had proven to myself 
that things were going to be okay. You know, that mm-hmm. the, the systems I had put in place were good. And now also it's big enough that I need somebody else. <laughs> um, and so it's like, part of it is, you know, the trust comes out of trusting myself. Trust comes out of need to trust somebody else. Um, need to give up a little bit, need to rebalance because I actually can't do all of it. But yeah, I think that that's a saying it like, you know, I can show up for myself. I I know I will because I always have trusting myself because I've proven to myself that I am trustworthy to myself. And I guess that ties back into that advice I would give myself five years ago is like, still worry about the things you're worrying about, still take the precautions you're taking, but it's going to be okay. Trust yourself, you know, have a little bit less anxiety about it because it's going to be okay. You're going to make sure it's okay. Yeah. I think that's really beautiful and powerful and it matters in, in terms of anxiety. It's really easy to think that we'd like to have none. (laughs) And none creates reckless, (laughs) but we're far more likely to go the other extreme where we have too much. And so when you can say like, yeah, worry about the things you're worrying about, your your focus is on the right things, Mm -hmm. but maybe you're carrying a heavy load, heavier load than you need to on the anxiety level about these things. Um, There's a discernment there that's really important and powerful to, to see that, that there are things we need to pay attention to and take action on and decide about and get clear about how we feel about like, I mean, for so many things, our issue is that we don't really understand what we want. And so we're like, Ooh, that thing, I don't know what I want there. Um, Which can definitely create a lot of anxiety, but we're not trying to get rid of anxiety completely. And we're not trying to um, create a, create a world where everything always works because that is a fantasy but this reality of controlling what we can with some loose reins, <laughs> like I don't need to hold tight to everything, which was my old style, um, but to pay attention to and watch over and attend to what needs tending um, and and know that it is going to turn out. It's going to be fine because you're going to be making adjustments all the way. It's not a it's not always end game things. You're, you're always going, Oh, this is what needs to be attended to now. Well, that's what needs to be attended to. What would you say is, um, a part of Emma vet culture that you're really proud of? I think so many things. Um, in general, I feel that we can pay it forward to our patients and our clients because we all take care of each other. Chrissy, my practice manager says it's a choose your own adventure every day, whether you're on primary care or urgent care. Um, And it's not just on remote, you know, we, every day people show up to work in a different headspace. People are, Mm -hmm 
are different. Some people's differences range from zero to a hundred and you know, you don't know what you're going to get each day. You might get all of it in any given day. And then some people fluctuate more like between 45 and 55, you know, and, but everybody each day shows up in a little bit of a different headspace and collectively we all have to be pieced together to make a hundred percent. And we have to do that with respect to how each person is doing. And so our whole team can give a hundred because we pay attention to ourselves and to each other. And, you know, you give your best, but your best changes each day. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really important is that we allow for people to be human. We allow for people to, you know, be uncharacteristically themselves uh, at times because they're human, you know, or to be really true to themselves and, you know, be the way that they are. And I think that that's what really drives our culture is allowing the space for people to exist. And then we can do our best work when we respect that each day. I don't know if that made any sense. It made a lot of sense. I have, I'm, I'm in that spot where I always wind up where I have like 18 questions where I'm like, oh, we can do this way or this way or that. But, but I think I just really want to honor that lovely acceptance of that our best is different each day, depending on what is going on. And there's so much going on in people's minds and lives that we don't know on the surface that it's, it's easy to, not give people space for that to know i know that you are capable of doing this to this standard and you're not today so therefore you're being lazy as opposed to you're doing the best you can with what you've got today what's going on right is there a way i could help is there something i could do to to support and um or do you just need to stay in that space today right do you just mm -hmm. and you don't want to get out of it which is also sometimes the case. Yeah. Yeah. Do you need me to be further away from you or do you want me to tell jokes here? Right? Like, <laughs> and I think, you know, it helps that we all like have that trust in each other that, that it's a safe space to be. That's really beautiful. And you really should be so proud of all you've done to make that happen because okay. it's a, a lot. It's a lot. And you have been clear about that since the day I met you, how important that was to you. And I so admire the commitment that you have pursued it with. It's been very impressive to watch. Thank you. As you've grown. Thank you. I always leave our sessions feeling better than I went into it in any capacity. And it's, there are pieces of each sort of session that I really hold on to. Um, I remember one of the uh, self-assessments we did years ago, and then you printed out people's like top. Mm -hmm. And I had both prudent and risk taker. Mm -hmm. which was such a fascinating combo a great combo <laughs> uh and i 
those are sort of like my trophies that I think of sometimes like, yeah, I'm a prudent risk taker. I know that because I trust myself, you know, Mm -hmm. and it, I don't know. It's a nice, it's nice to hold on to those words to help when I'm wondering what on earth am I doing? Remind myself, I trust myself. I have researched. I, it's not a blind leap. Yeah. I think the more anyone can know about themselves, the better off we are because we see the ways we differ from others, Mm -hmm. which can make us feel like maybe we're wrong for being however we are. (laughs) But um, the the thing you're referring to is the via character strengths and there's, I don't know, 26 or something. And it just sort of rates people in like in terms of what shows up most. And we are all a different constellation of traits. And I did think prudent, prudence and risk-taking was it such an interesting combo to have in one person having them in her top five traits. But to to recognize what is true about you as an individual and how you can know yourself and actually like yourself helps everyone interact with other people better, interact with themselves better, do better work. Like it's, It sounds simplistic to say, but it all really does come back to knowing ourselves and actually liking who we are. And um and wouldn't that be a gift if everyone could know and like themselves? It would make it a lot easier for us to know and like others, I think. I think that's a, yeah, a lofty <laughs> want for people. But it is, it is a lofty want. So I'm doing it one person at a time and coaching and, and <laughs> small groups and things. But, um, but as we move everybody just a little bit more toward self-awareness and self-acceptance and self-compassion, it changes things, changes things. So that's my lofty want. What's your lofty want? If you could have one wish that you could grant for all pet professionals, what would it be? The deeply resounding knowledge that you are not alone. Um, this one's going to make me cry a little bit, but you know, it, in the veterinary community, we're familiar with the, um, the toll it takes and, um, the loss of, of our community members. And if this community could just really, really, really know deep within that they are not alone. And that sense of community means there is support. Um, That's what I would wish for everybody. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking time to talk with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Colleen. Thanks for listening to Unleashed at Work and Home. I invite you to come learn more at ColleenPilar.com, where you can be steady, be strong, and be long.